Candidates for the highest offices are after the votes of various interest groups, making their appeals in ads and media interviews based on what resonates with each group. This year, besides the usual demographic groups and issues, there's increased focus on abortion, women's groups, and faith-based voters, especially Catholic ones. It's sort of a perfect storm. I'm Sheila Logminas, and you're in the Forum. Abortion is always a big issue in any election. It was really prominent in the 2012 Democratic National Convention, which was dubbed Abortion Palooza by some pro-life writers because of the heavy emphasis on abortion over the days of the convention by party elites. While it remains a major issue and Democrats have grown more progressive on abortion as a so-called woman's right, more women and taxpayers in general are more wary of the extreme abortion license They're getting better informed all the time. Joining me to talk about these and other key points is Mary Helen Fiorito, Cardinal Francis George Visiting Fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C. Mary's a longtime pro-life speaker, debater, and commentator on human life issues and cultural affairs. Mary, it all comes together now. Thank you for your time. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Sheila. Always great to talk with you. I've been eager to talk with you, Mary. There's so much that converges here. Because, uh, you know, we've got politics, of course, culture, we've got, well, to that point, candidates in all election cycles have always gone after as many demographic groups votes as they can, they can attract with appeals to the people who make up those groups on what most touches a nerve with them, that group, or what most enlivens them, right? So we hear a lot about the black vote, the Hispanic vote, the blue collar vote, the woman vote, and so on. While we've heard in the past of the Catholic vote, It hasn't been mentioned much since around 2008, I think, but it's certainly elevated to a prominent focus now. Vice President Biden is running ads, as some of our listeners know, on Catholic radio in some states focusing on his Catholic faith, but certainly avoiding any mention of abortion or the Hyde Amendment. We know Catholics are usually split along party lines, But what are your thoughts about this direct appeal by Biden, who supports abortion but not the Hyde Amendment, and this is seriously counter to Catholic teaching? Well, he not only supports legal abortion, Sheila, he has actually said uh, fairly recently within the last 48 hours of this conversation we're having that he would make Roe versus Wade the law of the land. And this is where Catholics may be a little bit better educated than the general public on abortion law. But what that means for sort of the people who kind of know what the name is, but they don't really know what the law said. When, when someone says, I want to codify Roe versus Wade, and this is actually a, a statement that Kamala Harris, uh, Joe Biden's running mate, has also made publicly. What that means is that they would like to see abortion legal in all 50 states for all nine months for any reason whatsoever including reasons like sex selection abortions, the majority of which are done on baby girls, um, post-viability abortions, uh, just forcing Catholic hospitals to either refer for or even participate in abortion services. Only seven countries in the entire world have an abortion law that's that extreme. And 
you know, the states, the people of the states of the United States of America should be able to, through their legislative bodies, be able to, in, in, um, you know, enact reasonable restrictions, which if you look at the most recent polls that are out this week, just a month before the election, are really pretty limiting of abortion as it stands. Most American people, including American Catholics, uh, would say the first trimester only, they reject post-viability abortions, they reject abortions for sex selection purposes, they reject uh, taxpayer-funded abortions, they reject Catholic institutions, especially Catholic hospitals, uh, being forced to, to participate, being compelled to refer or provide abortion services on their premises. So all of these things that Joe Biden in that one kind of glib soundbite says, you know, I, I will make Roe versus Wade the law of the land, is an extreme abortion view that is completely out of step with the American public and certainly out of step with American Catholics. Because when you poll Catholics who are practicing, so for example, Catholics who say, I attend mass at least three out of four Sundays every month, the numbers skew even higher. Then you're, you're looking in the very high 80, 90 percentiles of people saying, no, life of the mother only, health of the mother only, and rape and incest. Now, not that the church would approve of or you know, distinguish those particular cases as being morally just. We don't, and we wouldn't, because every human life has value, no matter what the way in which uh, that life was conceived or you know, the, the particular circumstances surrounding it. However, that would really even far more narrowly limit abortion um, probably to less than 10% of all the abortions that are done in our country every year. Well, and so many Catholics uh, don't know this. I, I, as I said, it, it's, you know, lamentable that Catholics usually are split along party lines in elections when what the church teaches really ought to uh, inform our votes in every way. And, you know, party aside and candidate aside, you look at what they stand for. And when the policies and the platforms are so very, very clearly against counter to Catholic teaching and uh, Catholic teaching talking about the most uh, the most morally uh, what detrimental, the most morally intrinsic evil, let's just put it that way, immoral thing one can do is, is the, the taking of innocent, vulnerable human life, which is the child in the womb first and foremost. So on that note, let's talk about the women vote, because that goes together with this, together with the abortion issue and big abortions involvement in this election, as always. A lot of news articles, Mary, have reported that Biden leads with women polled, though abortion usually isn't prominent in the polling questions. What do you think? Well, you know, a lot of that, Sheila, is going to depend on how the abortion question is asked. So, for example, if you say something very broad, like, do you support Roe versus Wade? Or, which my guess is, was one of the Biden campaign's polling questions, or he would not have said that. Because most Americans don't know what Roe versus Wade actually held, you know, people think, well, I don't want to sound like some kind of crazy religious extremist. So, sure, I'll say I support Roe because I only support abortion in the first trimester because they really think that that's what the law is in the United States, which it absolutely is not. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it was interesting. I did a, a rather lengthy interview with uh, the religion reporter for the New York Times last week uh, in, uh, for a story that ran um, several days ago where, where she, and I have to say she was quite fair. She really wanted to hear about why um, Catholic women in particular felt strongly about Amy Coney Barrett's nomination to the Supreme Court. 
um, not only as Catholic women, but many of us as working moms and, and lawyers and other people, uh, women who have held professional positions um, while raising children. And, um, you know, it was sort of, the, I, I always say, if you, if you want, you know, there's no horror movie that is as scary as the New York Times comments box. And I was just reading, reading through the comments. And, you know, it, it was sort of interesting because um, from women who were just enraged that, that anybody would be supporting Amy Coney Barrett's nomination, um, it, was, it, it was an assumption that Amy Coney Barrett and her husband, Jesse, must be exceptionally wealthy to be able for her to, to work and to adopt children and to yeah. have a large family. And you know, it was very touching and, and I thought very poignant. So many of them saying, I would have loved to have had more children, but we mm. couldn't afford it. We didn't have the money. Whereas, you know, and I, I don't, I have never seen Amy Coney Barrett's tax returns. I couldn't tell you. I know, however, that her, she said this publicly, that her husband's aunt, um, has provided um, yeah. very consistent family child care for them for many oh. years. And so, you know, they've had that benefit, but also, you know, she's been very clear um, that, you know, we made it work as a married couple. And there were times when, when my career took precedence in our marriage, and there were times when Jesse's career took, pre he was, you know, he's a formal, uh, former rather federal prosecutor. So there were times when Jesse's career took precedence and we worked it out as a couple. And if, if there's anything that's more sort of Ruth Bader Ginsburg-ish than that, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know what it is. And yeah. the number of times that, that these women were commenting, I hope the senators on the Senate Judiciary Committee will be grilling her on how she expects to raise these seven children and be a Supreme Court justice. And I thought, you know what? Justice Scalia had nine children. No one ever asked him that question. You know, no, you know and, and that was one thing, you know, on, on which I, I would say I agreed with Justice Ginsburg was, you know, she, she talked about in one of her opinions, and this was prior to coming out to the Supreme Court, you know, I, I envision a world where husbands and wives together raise their children and have equal share in the household duties and the raising of the children so that it really is a joint effort on behalf of the couple with not everything being laid at the women's feet. And so, you know, uh, that's something that I think a lot of Catholic couples, I, I wouldn't say they struggle with it, but it is something that, you know, as, as you grow into your marriage and you add children and, you know, you, you may be laid off or somebody else may have a career change, you know, your, your goals in terms of your family can fluctuate. And mm -hmm. I think Amy Coney Barrett and her husband have been magnificent examples of that, you know, where she has said, we make this commitment to each other that we'll pray over who is doing what at what any given time in our marriage. And if we discern, you know, with God's help, that one person's job might take precedence over the other person's and the other person will step back. Um, I'm not putting, I'm not saying this exactly the way she said it, but I'm paraphrasing her generally. So, um, I would invite your, your listeners, if they want the exact phraseology she used, um, her, her talks and her speeches at the, like the Notre Dame Club of Washington, D.C. was one where she talked about this, um, mm. are very easily accessible. But, you know, just to get Good back idea. to Biden, yeah, just to get back to Biden, I mean, the very fact 
that he is not cheering a woman like this, um, right. who, who's an exemplary jurist. I mean, first and foremost, she is, you know, the, the, the type of lawyer that everybody else kind of wished they were in law school. I mean, she just, she, God really has given her a gift of intellect that every single person I know, and I'm talking about fellow Supreme Court clerks, and I'm talking about people who clerked for Ginsburg and who clerked for Souter and who clerked for Kennedy. So not, you know, the Scalia and Thomas clerks. I'm talking about the people who were either more center or left of center. Every single one that I have spoken to has said, no, she was always the smartest person in the room, always, mm -hmm. far and away. And not only that, but also always the kindest person in the room and the most humble person in the room. And, you know, the, the, the kind who would like always, you know, oh, you know, I, I, I know you're caring for an elderly dad right now. Tell me how he's doing. You know, always seeking um. to ask about the good of the other person. And, you know, and this isn't to canonize her. I mean, I'm sure she has her faults like any other human being. But when you have people like Noah Feldman, who uh, is, a, is a lawyer um, very well known on the East Coast right now, who's, who's very much to the left, uh, him saying publicly, feeling it morally imperative to come out and defend his fellow colleagues, saying, I don't agree with the things she says, but she's absolutely qualified to be a Supreme Court justice and she should be given the chance to be. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I have to say, I have to applaud him for his intellectual integrity and his moral integrity okay. in coming to the defense of his friend. You know, I, I have a friend who's, you know, we, we joke and we call ourselves the Ginsburg and Scalia of Catholic women <laughs> commentators, but you know what? I, I, I can disagree with her on things and very strenuously. We don't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but on the end of the day, at the end of the day, rather, I can recognize where her gifts and talents are and I can, I can praise those gifts and talents without it somehow meaning that I've gone to the dark side, you know, right. and, uh, or I'm rejecting church teaching. Well, you know, I think, uh, you know, this is one of the, you know, this is interesting, Sheila, you know, I, I, um, not to be in competition with you, but I do my own little tiny radio show in Chicago every week. Oh, it's good. And today, I, yeah, like I always joke that like, you know, 10 people listen to it, nine, nine since my mom died a few months ago. But um, no. I, by the um, way, tell everyone the name of it and where they can tune so it, in. It's called, yeah, thank you. It's called Winds of Change. And you can find the weekly podcasts on something called Podbeam. Uh, Podbean rather, and uh, I host only once a week. The primary host is it's really is, good, though. Yeah, thank you, Sheila. You know, and I try to like you. I mean, you were my great teacher in this. Really, have someone on, but have them on for a good stretch of time where I'm not bumping up against breaks in the clock, and I can really get information. So today, I had a I had a terrific interview with Father David Guffey, who is a priest of the Congregation of the Holy Cross, which are the, the priests who run Notre Dame and the University of Portland. And um, it was about Father Patrick Payton, because, you know, there's this new movie called Pray coming out about Father Payton. And I, I was asking him because I, so this movie is going to be released October 9th. And so Father Payton was often asked, and they have him on tape saying this, you know, what, what is it that you're against? And he said, I'm not going to talk about what I'm against. I'm going to talk about what I'm for. And what I'm for is good, wholesome, holy families. And I'm for the proper and good use of people's time. And I'm for peace. And I'm for justice. And I'm for people having God as a part of their lives and understanding that God loves them. I, and I said, you know, I know you wouldn't have predicted everything happening right now at the time you decided to release this movie, October 9th. But it seems to me that Father Peyton's message, you know, the family that prays together stays together, is, is just so um, 
relevant to, to what we see. I mean, I, I can't tell you, well, I, I, I don't want to be a martyr or anything, but I've had a couple of longtime friends unfriend me now, you know, on social media yeah. because I've, I've, you know, and, and it's hard. I'm a, I, I feel like I'm kind of politically homeless, to be honest with you. I've, you know, I was raised in a democratic family. My dad was a democratic precinct captain, but you know, there are issues for me that I feel are preeminent as the bishops have noted that abortion is among them. And, you know, I, do I agree with every personal moral choice Donald Trump has made during his life? No, but you know, I, I don't say, I didn't elect him to be my, my pastor. I elected him to be the president. You know, I voted for him rather. I mean, I, I wasn't thinking of him as a moral leader when I was casting my vote. I, I don't think that frankly is the role of the president. Um, and, you know, we've seen with, uh, in terms of him keeping his word to the pro-life community on legislation, he, he's done so. And, um, and, and I think I, I don't like Joe Biden's deceptiveness. I mean, he is, frankly, I, he is outright lying to people when he talks to them about how important his Catholic faith is to him. And I thought, you know, if that is true, you, you must be searching your conscience. You just don't support like abortion in some limited cases where, you know, women might feel pressured or they're, you know, they're, they're, they're given a terrible, you know, prenatal diagnosis of a child with a severe disability and the doctor frightens them with medical, you know, exaggerations. I've had, I've had that happen to a family member, you know, who mm-hmm. essentially had to fight with the doctor so she could give birth to her child. I mean, it was wow. it, she, who she, who she, whom she knew was, going to be born with a disability. And she said, you know, it, it, I, I'm not going to sue you, you know, for, she, she said it started to sound to me like he was more worried about the fact that I might sue him than he was about the fact that, you know, I didn't really want to do this. And mm. so at any rate, like you're, you're not, I'm not seeing within the Biden campaign message, these kinds of moral dilemmas that you sometimes hear with people who really are people of goodwill and, you know, these would be in that maybe small percentage of weekly going mass Catholics who might say, you know what, I might make an exception for X, Y, and Z, but they would be very rare and limited exceptions, right? So it's, it's not like you're hearing him articulate it that way. I mean, he's like, yeah, sure. Any abortion, anytime, anywhere. And, and oh, by the way, you're all going to pay for it. All right. So, yeah. Yeah, that's and people don't want is. that. Yeah. No. Oh in my fact, goodness. In fact, as you know, but if any of our listeners right now don't know this, more and more and more all the time, Americans who even self-identify in the polls, you can you can trust. Uh, there are any number of pollsters who put the, these polls out, but uh, Michael New was on from the Charlotte Lozier uh, organization. Right. Susan B. Anthony listened, talking about this because he stays on top of this all the time and writes and reports on this. And there are more Americans all the time who even self-identify as so-called pro choice who don't want to pay for it. They don't want their taxpayer dollars to pay for it. And they certainly do want limitations in the pain capable unborn uh, protection act, child protection act has been significant. We want all abortion to, you know, end and the intrinsic evil that it is. But I mean, to any limitations and certainly Americans who even consider themselves pro-choice don't want to pay for it. Mary, bringing a lot of these things together. So you, you, you brought up, you know, what, what father Peyton said, the family that prays to together stays together a truth we know in the catholic faith in any family that prays together of any faith and just good families we know that bringing that together the importance of, and and the fact that people who didn't even want 
Donald Trump to be the president and now have worked very much with his administration. Marjorie Dannenfelser comes to mind. Abby Johnson comes to mind. They've both been guests on this uh, podcast show. And they have each said that, that in the beginning, really, I mean, they weren't, they didn't know what to think about him and and abortion. But to see the pro-life measures taken and promises kept and religious freedom emphasis in this administration and promises and an emphasis on religious freedom all comes together in when you bring up Amy Coney Barrett, which I wanted to bring up with you. So kind of brings it all together, barring something else unforeseen, which has pretty much been all of 2020 things unforeseen. The Senate confirmation hearings on, on judge Amy Coney Barrett, funny you should say about father, not funny, but providential father, Patrick Payton, the film pray will be coming out just days before this, but the confirmation hearings on Judge Barrett will start next week as we hit, actually that's going to be happening right around the same time, as we hit mid-October just ahead of the elections. So one Capitol Hill news producer said, past is prologue and the Kavanaugh hearing set up what's likely, he said, not surely, but likely to be another brawl or as he put it, cage match. Senator, well, some people will remember, Senator Kamala Harris will be one of the interrogators and they may remember that in the Kavanaugh hearings, Senator Harris interrupted Judiciary Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley at the very beginning of his opening remarks. In fact, it was noted that there, he got out 12 words before she jumped in and began interrupting and deflecting it. So right. with all the sensitivities, Mary, pervading our culture now, do you see this lining up to be as ugly as past hearings, even the one for Judge Barrett's federal court nomination, when her faith was attacked so bizarrely? Because right. we've got here women's issues. This is a woman being, being confirmed, hopefully, to the Supreme Court. Religious freedom issues, her Catholic faith at play. We see voters will be watching and listening carefully, most likely. And of course, everybody knows at bottom, it's all about abortion. Right. It all, and that's what I have said to my friends. This comes down to one word and one word only, and that is abortion. Now, um, I, I know that uh, Senator Durbin and uh, Senator Feinstein received significant pushback for the religiously bigoted nature of their comments and their questions um, to Judge Barrett, which, you know, were not only intent on sort of painting her as an extremist, but I believe that they were intended to humiliate her, mm-hmm. you know, to, to mock her. Are you an Orthodox Catholic? I mean, and, and I know Durbin tried to walk that back, but I thought there's no walking back from that, Senator. Yeah. And, and for people who aren't from Illinois, you know, it's, it's important for you to know that in his own diocese of Springfield, Illinois, where he hails from, He's, he has been publicly prohibited from even receiving the Eucharist at Mass. Um, and not only by Bishop Paprocki, his current bishop, but by his previous bishop, who did not permit him to receive communion publicly um, and barred him from communion because of his, you know, strident anti-life statements that he has and, and, and votes and positions and affiliations and everything else. So, you know, I, I thought, boy, this is rich you know, that, that he's asking her if he's an Orthodox Catholic. And I thought you can't, you're not even permitted to receive communion. And I don't say that in, in, in a way to sort of, you know, shame him, but, but we're talking about someone who's, who's, who's public, you know, manifest sins are so grave that the church had to take the very unusual step of saying you, you may not publicly receive, which is a very painful thing 
for any bishop to do or any pastor to do, because, you know, frankly, having worked, you know, worked for a bishop for many, many years, I can tell you, you don't get a whole lot of pats on the back for that. You tend to get more complaints about that than anything else, you know, because American people don't like being told that they can't do something. Right. So, um, so I, I don't know if, if they will play it smart. I don't think they are going to go after her Catholicism with uh, the same vengeance as they did the last time. But Sheila, I don't think they'll be able to help themselves because they have nothing else to hang you know, their criticism of her on other than her Catholic faith. Now, there's going to be, cons- uh, I think, considerable analysis mm. of the lay ecclesial movement that she belongs to called the People of Praise. And if your listeners are interested, I wrote a column uh, in the Wall Street Journal that appeared last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you Good just, it's, it's in the, ho- thank you. It's in the Houses of Worship column, which is their weekly religion column, which runs on Fridays in the Wall Street Journal, and just describing, you know, the, the people of praise and how they function as a lay ecclesial movement and a charis- charismatic community within the Catholic Church. They're not, you know, this is not some kind of weird Catholic cult, you know, she's, she's not a, a servant, you know, to somebody else, you know, and, and it's funny, they, they, they form, unfortunately for the people of praise, they they came into being in the early 1970s where even the term people of praise would have seemed really cool and and contemporary <laughs> um right now it just makes people think that like they're like in an austin powers movie you know yeah. so, um, it's it's not a name that people feel comfortable with in in this day and age right but back in the 70s that was really it was a really kind of cool thing and so um yeah and mary sorry i don't want to step on here but you sure. i just want to add to that that your wall street journal opinion piece about that people of praise deserve ours america has a lot to learn from amy coney barrett's covenant community i learned a lot about people of praise in your piece so oh, you well, did a you. service to everyone out there by by writing that and getting that in in a, in a fine uh, paper like wall street journal right, so i yeah. i'll try to get that up on on the blog here and make yeah. sure people can link right to it well thank you sheila i appreciate that because it's important that people you know if and you know again the people of praise are not everybody's cup of tea nobody has to to be in a lay ecclesial movement in the Catholic Church. Right. I mean, what, what I kept thinking is this is like the Da Vinci Code and Opus Dei all over again, right? Where you have a, a particular, you know, um, gathering or, or um, initiative of, of lay Catholic people that's held up for ridicule because people don't really understand what it is. Right. And, you know, the, I tell you, if, if you want anybody to be your, the nicest next door neighbor you'd ever have, it would be somebody from, from the people of praise. And so oh, I, I came to, I came to know them because Cardinal George, Cardinal Francis George, who's the late Archbishop of Chicago, who I had the privilege of working for for so many years um, as his executive assistant, he was quite close to the people of praise. Um, he, you know, it's, you, you can always learn a lot about a bishop or an arch, archbishop by who they choose to be their vicar general. And Cardinal George chose a priest who was a member of the Brotherhood of People of Praise, Perrin Alve, to be his vicar general. So um, he was very much impressed with their piety with their with their genuine desire to be people who lived um, out the gospel in their day to day lives, and so he helped. He even helped to review some of their constitutions for the men who were in what they call their brotherhood, which is the men who are feeling called to priesthood within the group. Um, uh, to make certain that because it's an ecumenical group, it's made up of both Protestants and Catholics, but Cardinal George really wanted to assure sort of in writing and canonically 
that the Protestant members of the People of Praise would never be pressured or in any way sort of, you know, encouraged to, to convert to Catholicism. Because it, yeah, and you know, you, because you have to, you know, because they, they felt strongly about respecting the individual consciences of, of people who were members. And, um, that, and that's very important. I think that's something that's really been uh, glossed over tremendously because people are trying to portray it as a cult, you know, in which Amy Coney Barrett is given, you know, directives by her oh husband boy. or by some other male superior on what she is supposed to do and how she is supposed to do it, which if you know Amy Coney Barrett is rather laughable, but, um, but nevertheless, with the popularity of The Handmaid's Tale, like The Da Vinci Code, um, you're, you're seeing a lot of the, those kind of parallel judgments yeah. being made, and, which is very, very upsetting. And I mean, and I know you're familiar with the lay movements being from the Chicago Archdiocese, which are, you know, as varied and numerous as there, there are different groups in Chicago. And again, nobody has to belong to a lay movement, but for many people, they're very helpful. They're a very, you know, uh, uh, you know practical and mm. easy way to grow in your walk with the Lord. Um, you know, with, with other people, I mean, we're, we're communal people, right? So it's like joining the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts. If you want to learn particular skills or have, you know, particular, you know, gifts that you want to be able to give back to the community, having a structure is helpful, right? And that's all that right. this is. And, and to take it and to twist it, it's so demonic, Sheila, to make it look as if there's somehow something nefarious about People who, you know, now they all go to mass in their own parishes, but then like once or twice a week, they get together for their own prayer meetings, for spiritual direction, you know, for, for, you know, social service uh, acts of charity yeah. that they do in their communities. They, they run uh, community gardens where they harvest food and then give them to people in the community who might not have access to fresh fruit mm -hmm. or vegetables. I oh, mean, they're yeah. doing all this wonderful stuff and they've been maligned mm -hmm. and it's, it's just disgraceful. It, it is. And any, anything like that is. But as we know, Mary, intolerance is, is so strong right now by the very so-called tolerance crowd. Uh, you know, everything's about tolerance, right? If you're in of like mind. But also, um, oh, let's just say inconsistency. I was going to say hypocrisy or duplicitousness or whatever. But just say, let's say inconsistencies abound when uh, it, it's, it's preached, intolerance is, I mean, tolerance is preached, but only if you agree with the people who are preaching it. But, um, but, but, but when I said the voters will be watching and listening carefully to the confirmation hearings because women's issues are involved, religious issues are involved, as we're talking about, Catholic Catholicism especially, religious freedom is very much in this election. And now Joe Biden's ads on some Catholic radio uh, are out there touting his Catholic faith without mentioning anything about abortion or Hyde Amendment. Again, seriously, a counter to Catholic teaching. All of that needs, people need to be informed voters. But, but on all of this together, some reporting out there says that you know, people might be swayed by the confirmation hearings. Well, they might. But some reporting out there says that there aren't many undecided voters left to sway one way or the other. From what you know and read and hear and see, Mary, do you think that's true? And what would it take to sway them in this wildly unpredictable and out of control year? You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't talk to a whole lot of people about politics. But if what I observe daily on Twitter and on Facebook is of any indication, I think that's probably accurate. I don't think there's a whole lot of people 
who at this point don't know who they're going to vote for. Um, I think that, you know, especially in cities that have been so affected by law and order issues like Chicago, like Portland, mm-hmm. like con- poor Kenosha, Wisconsin, for goodness sake. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I, I think with um, people, you know, who live in cities that have been so dramatically impacted um, by by Democratic mayors who have not run the city well. Um, I, I do think those people have, have long made up their minds. I mean, I can just tell you as a mom of young girls, I mean, in Chicago, uh, the, the two things that stand out over the last four months since the 4th of July was the seven-year-old shot in the head riding her bike down the street, yeah. about four blocks from where I lived when I was seven years old uh, in Chicago, mm-hmm. and an eight-year-old shot in the back while she was driving down a street in Canaryville, which was, you know, once a very sort of um, middle-class ethnic neighborhood, um, just shot in the back riding with her mom in the car. So, you know, when, when you are seeing... I mean, we're not talking about gang members. We're talking about children being gunned down in the middle of the street and everybody, you know, that should have been a national story for days on end. But then, you know, so I I think for a lot of people and especially people who own businesses, um, and I'm not just talking about the big corporations like the Macy's. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, mom and pop jewelry stores who, right. who, you know, one, for example, had a presence in Chicago on the Gold Coast for a hundred years. And they said, you oh. know what, despite what people may think, no, our insurance doesn't cover all of our losses. It doesn't even come close. And certainly not when we're looted and vandalized twice in an eight week period. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't. And then, you know, for me, I, I think the kicker for me was when the Daughters of St. Paul um, who are a religious yeah. community of, of, of Catholic nuns, Catholic religious sisters who run, uh, who have a Catholic bookstore on Chicago's Michigan Avenue. I mean, their store was broken into and ransacked and looted. And the sisters, for people who don't know, live upstairs over the store. They live in an apartment over the store. Mm-hmm. And had someone set off an incendiary device, they had no way of escaping. They would have all, mm-hmm. they, they all, they, praise God, the Lord protected them. But, you know, I see stories like this, and then I see the president offering to send in federal troops, you know, to help the mayor restore order, which I believe was a genuine offer of assistance. And, and her response was to use an expletive with, with two letters. And, and, you know, that's why I was just so mm-hmm. distressed to hear, you know, Mayor Lori Lightsfoot's response to President Trump, which was to use a very vulgar expletive when, you know, I, I grew up in a neighborhood that was um, fairly significantly populated by Chicago police and fire, uh, 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 firemen and, and police officers, and they were begging for help. Sheila, they couldn't, they were working 12 hour shifts with no vacation, no breaks, no sick days, nothing. And um, they, they, not that they are not capable in under normal and even under extraordinary circumstances sometimes, but this was day after day after day of violence and looting and rioting. And they, it was, it was at a point where they needed, they were desperate for that federal help to come in. And she, you know, essentially left her officers out there to continue to, to, uh, you know, be, be made vulnerable. And, and, and again, the end result is that the people aren't protected, which is why, you know, to have pe- 50 people shot in one weekend or 10 people murdered in one weekend in Chicago is, is a shrug of the shoulders. That's not even a front page headline anymore. 
Um, but I, but I think you're right. I think it all goes back to, you know, this need to form genuine Christian community that is built on prayer. So as you mentioned, Father Peyton, the prayer must, must start in the home, the family that stays, prays together, stays together. And then from that family that prays together, they can go into the community and be vehicles of peace and unity in their own neighborhoods, which then spreads to their own cities, which then spreads to countries. Uh, Father Peyton absolutely had the right message. And if anyone needs a little you know, kind of uh, booster shot of, of inspiration um, and, and spiritual guidance at this time, I would really recommend the new movie Pray, which opens October 9th. I think in, even with COVID in selected theaters in most places, and I think um, on demand and in, in, in places where you can't uh, still go to a theater movie. It's about bringing our nation back to order again. That really goes back to Amy Coney Barrett's covenant community of the people of praise. I mean, it's, it's, it's like all of a piece by right. Father Peyton. Our nation so needs that. We need to be one nation under God. I mean, this goes back to our founding documents. We need to read those. For those who never did, read them for the first time. For those who did, go back and reread them and live according to our you know, constitution, our declaration of independence, our founding documents. And it is one nation under God. And we need to be able to always say that. And we need to be able to pray and keep our religious freedoms. Our bishops call it our first most charity freedom, life, liberty, and uh, well, the pursuit of happiness, you've got to start with life or there's no coherent argument you can make for any other right. Mary, it's always a pleasure to talk with you about all the things going on in the culture. And always I can rely on you to bring with me that element of faith to everything because it's through the lens of our faith that we see everything and see it rightly. Thank you, Mary, so much. Oh, you're welcome, Sheila. What a pleasure to be with you. And, and I hope I'll be able to join you again sometime. Oh, soon, uh, soon. Start. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Okay, God bless you. Bye-bye. God bless you as well. That's all for now. This is important information. It's great to spend time with you and share it. And in fact, speaking of that, thanks for tuning in. I ask you to share this link with others and invite them to join us here in the forum.